This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Rava. Praise God. All right, so here is the title of our message this morning. It is titled, Understanding the Difference Between True and False Peace. Now, I'm sure that if you've been around more than a few years here on earth, you understand and realize that not all, all forms of peace are true peace. And you know, we, people look for peace in different things. They look for peace in relationships, in people, in, in substances, in uh, entertainment, in sports, in all kinds of things. You know, people look for peace. And we should, because God designed us to live in peace. He designed us to live at peace. He wants us to enjoy peace. But there is a beginning to peace, to true peace. And then there is a way to stay in the true peace. And so that's some of what we want to talk about today. But more than that, I want to focus today on sharing with you about understanding the difference between true and false peace. You know that there is a false peace. Just like someone may say, well, there's true love and there's false love. That's true. You know, people can tell you they love you, but behind your back, <laughs> they do the opposite of someone who loves you. And so that is false love, if you will. And in the same way, there is true peace and there is false peace. And so as I share this message with you today, you're going to see these dynamics. You're going to see the evidences and the truth of true peace and those of false peace. And then we're going to dig a little bit into it in terms of grace and living by the grace of God. Just what false peace looks like as far as that is concerned. So let's talk a little bit about just peace in general, how people define peace, how the world defines it, how people see peace. You may even be able to relate to some of these. I mean, there's partial truth to some of these, uh, but and, and there's total truth to some of them. But let's see, just so that we can get into what we're discussing here today. So, how is peace generally defined? <clears throat> peace is defined as the state of contentment and tranquility. Isn't that what some people would say? Well, I certainly enjoy being content, and I enjoy being tranquil. I like peace. Don't you like tranquility? Well, some people define it that way, but that's not the ultimate and total definition of peace. That's a fruit of peace. That's part of peace. But that is not what peace is in and of itself. Then also, <clears throat> one is said to be at peace when they enjoy freedom from disturbance. We can relate to that, right? If there's nothing that disturbs me, I'm at peace. Again, that's another fruit of peace, but that's not what peace is in its essence. And then it's also said that peace is the result of emotional wholeness and stability. And yes, we can say yes to that to a degree. You know, when someone is emotionally stable and someone is emotionally whole, we can say that they are at peace. But is it true total peace? Is it biblical peace? 
Well, the answer is no. That's fruit. That's a result of peace. You see, what I'm trying to say in all of this so far is, is that oftentimes people confuse the fruit, the byproduct, the result of peace for peace itself. And what we need to understand is, is that there is a greater, deeper <laughs> truth understanding to peace. And when we understand that, we will experience all these things. Then there is also the claim that one is at peace when external and material factors line up in their favor. I mean, I've been there too. You know, when things go well and, you know, bills are being paid on time and the car doesn't break down, the washing machine is doing good, <clears throat> everyone's at peace in the house. We think, well, you know, and we've got everything we need. If we want a snack, our favorite snack, it's in the pantry. We can get it or someone can just pop down the road and get it for us. You know, when things externally, materially <clears throat> all seem to be in our favor, people sometimes think that that is peace and that is being at peace. But again, that's a byproduct. That's a result of peace. There's something that causes that to happen, but that's not peace itself. But this is what generally people think peace is. And so, one is said to be at peace when we are able to avoid distractions and problems. <laughs> That's something else we can relate to, isn't it? You know, don't come to me with problems. Don't give me distractions. Just leave me alone. Leave me, you know, just let me be. We think that is peace. And that is, again, another result of peace, but it's not peace itself. Peace causes that. And so what happens is, is that oftentimes we find ourselves trying to get rid of distractions, trying to get away from distractions. You know, problems come, we act like they don't exist. We bury our head in the sand thinking that that is somehow going to bring peace. And we know that it doesn't because our conscience is not designed to, you know, sweep something under the rug and not think about it, not be conscious of it. And so, while there is some truth to each of those definitions or statements that I've given you, in general, we need to understand that they only produce temporal results. Those are the fruits. That is not peace itself. And oftentimes, when someone thinks that is peace, <clears throat> it ends up becoming superficial and temporal. So really, at the end of the day, they don't really find themselves enjoying true peace. And so, true and lasting peace is far superior. It certainly is. And it can only be found in Jesus. I'm going to show you that today. I'm going to make an attempt to show you what this true and lasting superior peace looks like and how it is actually only found in Jesus. <clears throat> and so, let's begin by looking at John 14 verse 27. These are the words of Jesus from the Amplified Translation here. He says, Peace I leave with you. Isn't that great? So already we have the guarantee that we can have peace. Peace I leave with you. Watch what he says. My perfect peace I give to you. It's a gift. Not as the world gives do I give to you. See? So, we cannot find true peace in the world. We cannot find true peace in the things of the world. We cannot find true peace 
from people, from humanity. He says, true and perfect peace only comes from Him. And it is a gift to us. And He has left it for us who believe. Right? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Nor let it be afraid. Watch this. Let my perfect peace calm you in every circumstance and give you courage and strength for every challenge. So basically in that last portion, what he does is he shows us how we can see and how we can determine that we are experiencing his perfect peace and that we have received his gift of peace and that we are living in his peace. He says, we won't be troubled, we won't be afraid, we'll be calm, we'll have courage and we'll have strength. He says, that's how you will know. So, what we see from that is, is that true peace does not come from the world. So, if we're looking for it in the world and the things of the world and people of the world, we are not going to find true peace. Amen. So, we see again from that, that the source of true and perfect peace is Jesus. Remember that I said that earlier? Well, there it is right there. So the source of true and perfect peace is Jesus. Now, someone may be thinking, well, Pastor Mark, I know that already. I mean, come on, give me something that I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, just hang in there. Maybe something will come. But just maybe, maybe we need to be reminded of this. Amen. So true peace does not come from creation. It comes from redemption. I think that's a powerful statement. Let me say that again. True peace does not come from creation. It comes from redemption. Specifically, redemption in Jesus. Amen. We see that clearly right there. So, true peace is found in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Because that's what made it available to us. Right? So, that's where true peace is found. So, when you receive salvation in Jesus... The journey of true peace begins because that gift is received right there and you enter into his peace. Now you can learn the mechanics and the aspects and all of that, but you already have the gift and you receive it and you can live in it. Amen. So we need to base our peace on Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Not on our circumstances, not on how things are going, not on how we feel, not how people make us feel, not how the job seems to relate to us, not how things are going on around us. Mm -mm. Those are the things that are the result of peace. But the essence of our peace is Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And I'll say a little bit more about that. But before we move on, I also want to show you some things that we've seen in that verse. Notice how God's peace, let's put it back up again. Let's go back to that one. Watch this. <clears throat> Watch with specifically the second part over there. It says, notice also how God's peace empowers us not to be troubled when we should be. Because notice he says, let not your heart be troubled. In other words, yes, you should be, but don't let it be because you have my peace, my perfect peace. Then God's power, peace, I'm sorry, empowers us not to be afraid when we should be, because he says, nor let it be afraid, right? Then also, God's peace empowers us to be calm when we shouldn't be, because he says there, and be calm in every circumstance, right? 
And then also God's peace empowers us to be courageous when we shouldn't be. That's why he says, and give you courage. And then also we see there that we need to, God's uh, peace empowers us to be strong when we shouldn't be. That's why he says, and strength for every challenge. So really and truly, I mean, if I were to ask you, who doesn't want to have that kind of peace? I mean, I certainly do. When I face trouble, I'm not troubled, even though I should be by humanistic standards. When I face fearful situations, I'm not afraid because of the peace of God. When I shouldn't be calm, I am. When I shouldn't be courageous, I am. When I, sh when I, when I, <laughs> when I should be weak, I am strong. Why? It's all on the basis of the peace of God. So you can see from this that basing our peace, first of all, on Jesus and the finished work of the cross, is how we tap into the true peace of God, into true peace. And we receive that gift. And then we let it work in our lives. We let it have its way with us. And the way that it does that is by making us feel, making us sins, the opposite of what trials, tribulations, and adversity try to make us feel and sense. Amen. I mean, that's pretty powerful. That's a different paradigm to peace. You see, and specifically based on what I've said earlier in the beginning, how most people see peace and define peace. Now, let's have a look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, again from the Amplified. It says, And the peace of God, notice the peace of God, which you have in Jesus, right? And the peace of God, that peace which reassures the heart, that peace, watch this, which transcends all understanding, that peace which stands God over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, is yours. So once more here, Paul the Apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is reminding us and saying to us, you have the peace of God in Jesus. And it is that very peace that reassures your heart. And that peace stands God over your heart and your mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Not in your performance, not in your merit, not on your doing. In Christ Jesus. But here's the thing, guys, he says, it transcends all understanding. In other words, God's peace, or should I say, we are not meant to understand God's peace. You see, oftentimes people are trying to understand it before they can believe it. They're trying to understand it before they can step into it. They're trying to understand it before they can live in it or try to live in it. And yet, here we are told that God's peace cannot be understood. We shouldn't even try to understand it because our human mind cannot. It is not wired. It is not um, capable of understanding the peace of God. But yet he says, even though you cannot understand it, even though you cannot figure it out completely, you can certainly live in it. <laughs> you know, one of the best ways that I can illustrate that is we all have electricity in our homes. Now, some of us who may have studied engineering, who may be, have researched it, Googled it, watched videos, we may, <clears throat> we may have a greater understanding of electricity and how it works. But the majority of the population 
don't. But does that stop them from flipping a light switch, from plugging in the AC, from watching television, watching their favorite show, from charging their smartphone? Does that stop them? <laughs> no. Even though they don't understand how electricity is generated and how it comes to them and how it enables them to charge their devices, watch on their devices, listen on their devices, use technology the way they use it and the different things we have, it doesn't stop us from using it. So we don't understand it, we don't have to fully understand it or comprehend it, but yet we can live with it, in it and enjoy it completely. And this is what God is saying to us about His peace. He says, you will never understand it. This human mind cannot understand it. But hey, <laughs> don't worry about that. You can still enjoy it and live in it and get the most out of it. Just like electricity, right? I mean, it's pretty powerful. That's what he's saying to us there. Let's read that same verse from the Living Bible. Watch this. Now again, the background to this is uh, about trusting God in prayer. When we go to God and take things to Him in prayer. And then he says, yeah, if you do this, in other words, if you trust God in prayer with things in your life, he says, you will experience God's peace. Watch this. This is how the living puts it. Which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. See, his peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. See, the basis of our peace is Jesus and the finished work of the cross. We don't have to understand it. We don't have to try and figure it out. It is there. And so when we receive it and just let it have its way with us, then we will experience it and live in God's peace. That is the essence and the beginning of peace. Pretty powerful, isn't it? Praise God, praise God. See, so we are just meant to believe that God's peace is ours in Jesus and then let it have its way with us. That's it. Period. Amen. That's how peace begins. That's the essence and the beginning of peace. Now, someone may say, well, how can I tell if God's peace has its way with me? Or how can I tell if I'm living in the peace of God? How can I tell if just like I enjoy electricity, even though I, I don't understand it, how can I tell if I'm living in the peace of God, even though I can never fully understand it, even though I don't know all there is to know about it? How can I tell? Well, we saw that in that verse earlier, remember? I'll tell you, I'll give you five, the five things that we saw there. <clears throat> the way that you can know that you live in the peace of God and God's peace has its way with you. Well, it's when you're not troubled when you should be. <laughs> That's how you know that you live in God's peace and you're in true peace. Also, when you're, not, when you're not afraid, when you should be. That's how you know that you live in the peace of God. Also, <clears throat> when you are calm, when you shouldn't be. <laughs> when everyone else tells you you shouldn't be, you are calm. Well, that's living in the peace of God. Also, when you have courage, when you shouldn't. Or when it looks like you shouldn't. That's living in the peace of God. And then lastly, is when you are strong, when you shouldn't be, when everything else around you, everything else around you and people around you tell you you should be weak. I mean, you are weak, you look weak, but yet you are strong. That's how you know that you are living in the peace of God, that God's peace has its way with you and you are plugged in to the peace of God. You are living in the gift of peace. Amen.
And you know, it's not to say that trouble won't come, that fear won't try and cre creep in, that you know, uh, turmoil is going to try and get in, and things, you know, there's going to be discouragement faced your way, and you're going to feel weak at times. But see, this is the thing. You face those things. <laughs> you feel those things. But you face them with the peace of God. And that's why when trouble comes, you're not troubled. When fear comes, you're not fearful. You're not afraid. When turmoil comes, you are calm. You're not moved by the storm. And when discouragement comes, you take courage because you have the peace of God. And when you feel weak, you are strong because you have the courage of God. That's how we know that we are living in true peace. In the peace of God. A peace that He has made available to us in Jesus. Aren't you glad that you don't have to work for that peace? You don't have to try and earn and deserve the peace of God. God gives it to us in Jesus free. He gives it to us by His grace. I mean, I was reading while I was preparing for this and I was reading. And you know, one of the things that I thought, hmm, you know, when we're at peace, grace is released even more so. I mean, God's unmerited favor manifests more so because it's true. Peace facilitates the pathway for grace to manifest. Do you hear what I said? Peace facilitates the pathway to manifest for grace. And to prove that, I mean, go and do it yourself. If you have it on your phone, on your smartphone, on a computer, wherever you have, go online and find a Bible. And type in the phrase, grace and peace, and search it in Scripture. Specifically in the New Testament, it pops up so many times. Grace and peace be unto you. Paul is the one that says it mostly, but so are the other apostles. Grace and peace be unto you. Grace and peace from the Lord Jesus. Grace and peace to you. It's there all over the place because peace facilitates the manifestation of grace more so in our lives. And so this is what I'm saying. We need to understand that we have the peace of God in Jesus. He is the source of our peace. We have His peace, not someone else's peace, not peace that we've tried to earn and deserve. We have His perfect peace as a gift. And we can let it have its way with us by simply believing. And that's why I say, when we are troubled, <laughs> we're not going to be troubled. When trouble comes, we're not troubled. When fear comes, we're not afraid. When turmoil comes, we're calm. When um, discouragement comes, we have courage. When weakness tries to take us down, we are strong because we live in the peace of God. Amen. It's not just a metaphor. It's an actual reality. We see it in Scripture. The apostles lived it. Jesus lived it. And that's why Jesus could face all he faced because he <laughs> lived in the peace of God. And before he left, he says, I'm leaving you that same peace. It is yours as a gift. Just live in it. Don't try and understand it. Don't try and figure it out because you cannot. Your mind is incapable of doing that. But yet you can enjoy it fully 110%. Amen. Praise God for His peace. Amen. Now, let's have a look at another aspect of this wonderful peace. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 from the Amplified. Watch this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified, in other words, being made righteous before God, that is, acquitted of sin, declared blameless before God by faith. In other words, by believing what Jesus has done for us. Right? Watch this. Let us grasp the fact that, watch this, we have peace with God. 
that word we have is actually one word in the original Greek. And it can also be translated as we possess or we hold peace with God. So you have to receive it and you have to believe it. And then it is yours. You possess it. You have it. You hold it. <laughs> Not on the basis of your merit or performance. You cannot lose it. Once you receive salvation in Jesus, you possess the peace of God. That's what it's saying there. All because you've been justified by believing what Jesus has done for you. Then it says, And the joy of reconciliation with Him, watch this, through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the basis of your peace is Jesus and the finished work, not your doing or not doing. The Messiah, the Anointed, watch this again. Through Him, we also have access by faith into this remarkable state of grace. See that? When there is a receiving of the peace of God, it facilitates the manifestation and the entering into the grace of God. You see, how can you receive unmerited favor when you don't think you're at peace with God? When you don't think that you have the peace of God? It is when you have the peace of God that you can enter into God's unmerited favor. Then it says, In which we firmly and safely and securely stand, let us rejoice in our hope and the confident assurance of experiencing and enjoying the glory of our great God, the manifestation of His excellence and power. Praise God. That is loaded and powerful. So what we see there is, is that we are justified by believing, not by performing. Amen. That's called grace. And because we are justified in Jesus, we have peace with God. That's the point he's making there. Because you are justified in Jesus and you believe it, you have peace with God. You have the very peace of God. You possess, you hold the peace of God. Amen. I mean, just think about it for a moment. You actually possess, you actually own, you actually have the very peace of God. I mean, think about your greatest possession that you have, the thing that you value the most. It may be inherited jewelry from someone. It may be your house. It may be your car. It may be the family that you have, you know, that <laughs> that you have reproduced with your spouse. It may be so many different things. Whatever it is of most value to you here on earth cannot be compared to what God gives you here. But yet, it's the same concept here. You possess, you have, you hold the peace of God. All because you believe in Jesus and the finished work of the cross. Amen. So you have the peace of God. Now, that means that we have all the peace that we will ever need. I mean, if you have the peace of God, what other peace do you need? What more peace do you need? You've got it all. Amen. So you have a load full, or should I say, you are totally saturated with the peace of God. All the peace you will ever need. Amen. It's just simply believing and put our trust in Him that activates it. Because it's by grace. Amen. So... <clears throat> No other form of peace truly matters or is as important if we know that we have the peace of God. Amen. So peace with God is the foundation of being at peace and living at peace. This is why he emphasized that in the portion we've just read. So because we have peace with God in Jesus, we also have access into his grace, into his unmerited favor. You see, when you know that you're at peace with God, 
when you know that you have the peace of God outside of your merit and your performance, you will have confidence of the manifestation of God's unmerited favor in your life. Amen. I'm speaking to all of us here today. You see, God's peace facilitates access into His grace. Think about it. If I were to say to you, you know, come over to our place whenever you like. You don't have to call. You don't have to text. You don't have to knock. The door's open to you. Just come on in. Knock yourself out. Help yourself to whatever you want. My house is your house. Mi casa es su casa. <laughs> we hear that often, right? And so if I were to say that to you, if you feel shy, if you feel like you need to knock, like you need to text, you know, you may think, well, it's out of courtesy. It's just the right thing to do. Well, if I've told you you don't have to and you do it, well, thanks for the courtesy. But, you know, if I gave you <laughs> unmerited free access, it's up to you to enjoy it. And sometimes I think people, believers, approach God that way. They feel like, well, how can I have His peace? Well, you have it, you possess it. But yet they still try and be courteous and I need to earn it. God, was I good today? Oh yeah, now I can feel it. No, you have the peace of God. Even on your worst day as a Christian, you have 110% of the peace of God. You have His perfect peace. Because it's not on the basis of your doing or not doing. You are entitled and you should live in it. And you should just flip those switches and enjoy that technology, if you will. You know what I mean that in, in a bad way. But you should just enjoy the wonderful peace of God. Amen. Now, there's something else <laughs> that I want to show you. And I want to just, I said it earlier, but I want to just back it up. In Romans 5.1, remember, let's have a look at this here now. I want to point out something else here. Remember it said, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that we have, remember I said to you, it's one word in the original. Let me show you that word from the Strong's Concordance and see why I said what I said. Here it is here. Okay, so it's the word ek, uh, echo. It means to have, to hold. And there's the original. It's, it's a verb, so it's something we live in. It's an action word. <clears throat> strong alliteration is echo, and that's how it's pronounced. The definition is to have, to hold. But its common usage in the Bible and in those times was, I have, I hold, I possess. So it's a personal thing. It's when you personally have, hold and possess something. So it's not something that, you know, it's out there for the believer in general. No, it's basically saying, and what Paul was saying here is that you've been justified by believing. And because of that, you personally have, you hold, you possess the peace with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, it is yours. So you can put it this way, where he said, we have peace with God. You can say, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I hold peace with God. I possess peace with God through Jesus. And if you have peace with God and you have His peace, then <laughs> peace out, man. <laughs> I'm sure that those who... <laughs> grew up in the 70s will know exactly what I'm talking about there. Amen. So we possess it because we believe it. Amen. And we believe it because Jesus got it for us, not us ourselves. Amen. So, question. How can you tell if you are in possession of God's peace? How can you know that you possess that peace, that you possess peace with God? Did you hear what I said? 
How can you tell if you possess peace with God or God's peace? Well, it's very simple. You don't ever see God as your enemy or as your potential enemy. In other words, you don't have a question. Oh, is God going to be angry with me? Is God angry with me? Is that maybe why He's not answering my prayer? Is that maybe why I don't sense His presence? Because there's something I've done to affect that peace. I've just shown you, you cannot change that peace. Because it's a gift. It's given to you. Just like righteousness, holiness. It's not on the basis of a marital performance. So how can you tell if you are in possession of God's peace? You don't ever see God as your enemy, as your potential enemy. Another way to tell is that you don't ever see yourself at odds with God. Some people do, legalistic people do, but that's not truth. It's not gospel truth. If you possess the peace of God and you possess peace with God, you don't ever see yourself at odds with God. Amen. Another way you can tell is, is that, listen to this one real carefully. Another way you can tell that you possess peace with God and the peace of God is, is that you have more confidence in God's ability to preserve you than the devil's ability to destroy you. Ooh, that one is awesome. Wouldn't you agree? The way you can know that you possess peace with God, that you possess the peace of God, is when you have more confidence in God's ability to preserve you than the devil's ability to destroy you. That's when you know you are living in the peace of God, that you possess the peace of God. Amen? I mean, Abraham is a powerful, awesome example of that. Even though he didn't live in the reality that we live in, he was close because God showed it to him. And yet, as a type and shadow, he did. Watch this now. Remember, I'm going to show you now from Abraham's life this principle that I've just given to you, this statement that I just made, which is, you know you possess peace with God, the peace of God, when you have more confidence in God's ability to preserve you than you have in the devil's ability to destroy you. Watch this in Romans 4, verse 20 to 21. Watch this. It says, Abraham, watch this, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith, in other words, his believing, grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. So there's a man who chose to believe God completely. And to prove that he believed God completely, he trusted God completely. And... <laughs> a big part of the basis of that was is that he understood that he was at peace with God because he was. God told him that he was. And so what happens is, is that he didn't waver in believing God and he was fully convinced that God would do as he said. In other words, Abraham had more confidence in God's ability to preserve him than the devil's ability to destroy him. That's what I'm saying to you there. And so, as we read the story of Abraham, when God told Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice at one point, as a test, Abraham didn't hesitate. Why? Because he had greater confidence in God's ability to preserve his son than the devil's ability to destroy his son. Because he knew that he was at peace with God. He knew that he had the peace of God. 
So he didn't see God as his enemy or his potential enemy. And he proved that this actually happened when God actually said to him, Okay, sacrifice Isaac. Let's see. He didn't waver. He was fully convinced. He knew who he was at peace with God. He didn't hesitate. He did it. Watch us in Hebrews 11 verse 19, the first part of that verse from the New Living Translation. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, watch us, God was able to bring him back to life again. See, he had more confidence in God's ability to preserve his son than the devil's ability to destroy his son. All because he knew that he was at peace with God, that he had the peace of God. And then as we continue reading, God actually, when he realized that Abraham was going to trust God no matter what and just do whatever it took, then God provided an alternate for him. Genesis twenty-two thirteen from the New Living. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in the place of his son. You see, that was God's provision. But this is all on the basis of Abraham understanding that he was at peace with God, that he had the peace of God. Now, his is a type and shadow. How much more do we, when we have the real, can we have confidence in God? So to answer the question, how can you tell if you're in possession of God's peace? It is when you trust Him totally and completely, knowing and you have greater confidence in His ability to preserve you than the devil's ability to destroy you. Amen. Praise God, praise God for His peace. Now, let's talk a little bit about what false peace looks like, specifically in terms of living under grace, specifically in terms of living by the grace of God. You know, this is something that is often misunderstood. And I'm so glad that you're paying close attention because this is so important, not just for you to understand, not just for me to understand, but also to help those who, you know, may come across across our path to help them understand just how to understand peace, true peace. And we've shared all that so far, but to also not confuse true peace for false peace, because peace under grace can easily be misunderstood and be seen as true peace when it's really false peace. Let me explain what I mean. Some think that because God is ultimately love, He also overlooks sin and sinfulness. In other words, you know, God is love. We have His grace. We have His mercy. So ultimately, He overlooks sin and sinfulness. I'm talking about intentional sin and sinfulness. That is false peace. You see, God is love, but He's also righteous. He's also just. Amen? And because He is love, He saves the sinner. But because He's also righteous, He judged the sinner's sin in Jesus so that they could be free from the guilt, shame, and condemnation it produces. Right? Not so they could continue in it. You see, the false aspect that some believers have, some grace-believing believers have, is that they think that, you know, grace ultimately is the cover for sin, and it's how they're enabled to stay in peace. And so what they do is they abuse the grace of God, they misuse the grace of God, 
thinking that, well, you know what? God is love. God is graceful. And therefore, if I'm intentionally sinning or enjoying a sinful thing, you know, ultimately, I'm going to reject the guilt, shame, and condemnation because the cross took care of it, and that's it. See, that is false peace. That is how we misuse the grace of God to think that we have true peace, but it really is false peace. You see, He didn't set us free so we could continue in sin. Amen. That is false peace. Or let me put it another way to help us understand it. False peace is when someone thinks that God overlooks intentional and willful sin because He loves them. So what they do is, or let me say it this way, false peace, another way of explaining it, false peace is when someone thinks that by rejecting feelings of guilt, shame, and condemnation, they are at peace with God. You see, that's this grace. That's a misuse of grace. And I've come across grace-believing Christians, grace-believing believers, who do that with grace. And you know, so they will reject any type of shame, guilt, or condemnation, even though they're intentionally engaging in something they shouldn't, even though they are intentionally doing something that they know they shouldn't. And, you know, it's like, don't judge me. <laughs> don't, don't look for my bad. Go look in the mirror and find your own bad fault. God's grace has got me. It's covered me. You see, that is, and, and they think that they're at peace with that, by putting the band-aid of grace on something like that. That is false peace. Now, I know that this last bit that I'm sharing here is a little bit strong, but I need to share it with you because it's important for us to understand the fullness of peace. Amen? And that's not what we want to do. But you see, that's what false peace looks like. So ultimately, God wants us living in the peace He provided for us in Jesus. Amen? And there is no valid reason why we shouldn't or we couldn't. It's a gift. It's ours in Jesus. 110% of it. And we can tap into it. We can enjoy it anytime by simply having confidence in God's ability. Amen. Praise God for the wonderful peace of God. Now, let's finish off with one more portion. And I want to say a few things here. Just to solidify the essence of the peace that we have with God. The essence of the peace He has given us. True, perfect peace. You remember in Exodus, we read about the account where the children of Israel, God's chosen people, were under bondage, Egyptian bondage. They were turned into slaves. And eventually God sent Moses, and through Moses and Aaron, He delivered them out of that bondage into the promised land. Amen. But here's something that we see the night of Passover and how it happened. And I want to parallel that with us understanding that we are at peace with God, that we live in the peace of God, and that we possess the peace of God. Because this is a type and shadow of that for us. Exodus 12, verse 13, from the King James. Watch this. This is now when His judgment was going to take place, and the firstborn in every household would die. Because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. It says, and this is God speaking here. And the blood shall be to you for a token. In other words, a sign upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, says God, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. When I smite the land of Egypt. That is so powerful. And how I want to parallel this with the peace of God that we have 
with peace with God that we have, the peace of God that we have in Jesus is really powerful. Notice right there, God says to them, now remember what they had to do is they had to sacrifice the animal, which is the type of Jesus, take its blood and paint it on the doorpost of every house. And so when the angel of death came and the firstborn would die, when God saw, when the angel saw, which is God, when he saw the blood on the doorpost, he passed over that house and judgment didn't take place in that house. That's what this is talking about. So notice over there, let's go back to that. Notice over there, it says, God says, when I see the blood. He didn't say, when you see the blood. He didn't tell them that. He said, when I see the blood. <laughs> see? So the blood was there for God to see, not for us to see. And it's the same thing with us in Jesus. It is He shed blood that God sees. And He's the one that needs to see it, not us. Amen? So, where God didn't see the blood, judgment was executed, right? <clears throat> so the blood indicated that as far as God was concerned, that household placed his trust and confidence in God and therefore was at peace with God, right? I mean, isn't that what that indicates? So the blood was a type and shadow of Jesus and the finished work of the cross, absolutely. Therefore, when anyone places their trust and confidence in Jesus and the finished work of the cross, they too are at peace with God. See how that is a type and shadow of being at peace with God and having the peace of God? And so think about it. Those who applied the blood of Jesus, the type of the blood of Jesus over the doorpost, I mean, how did they sleep that night? How were they while judgment was taking place and the angel of death was going all over? How were they in their households? They were at rest, they were at peace. And if they were sleeping, I'm sure they had a great night's sleep because they trusted in God's ability to preserve them more than the devil's ability to destroy them because they were at peace with God through the blood of Jesus. They were at rest and peace. Amen. <clears throat> and it's the same thing for us. When we understand the value of the shed blood of Jesus for us, we too will be at rest and peace because God sees the blood and therefore judgment passes over us because we are at peace with God. Amen. So when we understand that we're at peace with God, guess what? <clears throat> good will come to us because good came to them. They left Egypt with all the wealth of Egypt. Good will come to us. Good comes to us because we understand and live in the peace of God, the true peace of God. Amen. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.